So good to see you. In case you don't know, my name is Kyle, and it's an absolute joy to be here with you this morning. I just want to let you know uh, what's coming up for me this week. I really ask that you pray and ask God to bless. Uh, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow, and I'm going to fly down to Peru. And you say, why Peru? Well, um, as um, I understand it, they say they have the biggest whitetails in the world there. So I'm going to make a trip down there. No, that's not why I'm going at all. Uh, I'm going down there to um, just see what God is up to. Um, Some of you are familiar with Compassion International. I've been acquainted with them and partnered with them personally for quite some time. And what they are doing in conjunction with the church planting organization Stadia is very, very exciting. And I'm going to get to go witness that and experience that and just see what God may have for us here with that. It is just really, really exciting. And I'll say with that before we jump into what we're about to talk about Thank you so very much, church, for being incredibly generous this year with your finances. God has blessed our church through you tremendously this year, and we've got a lot of fun things that we're going to do for the kingdom, and it's just really, really exciting. Well, we're in our series in Exodus on the God who rescues, and really quick, I want to recap where we've been. And if it's your first Sunday uh, with us in this series, don't worry about it. We're going to catch you right up. But I would say that you can go online and you can uh, visit there and or our app and you can listen to all these sermons where we've been going through the book of Exodus. So let's take a look at where we've been uh, throughout the book of Exodus. The first week we looked at God's people. The second week we looked at God's call. The third week we looked at God's compassion. Uh, the fourth week we looked at God's promises. And then the next week we looked at God's Passover, and the next week we looked at God's crossover, and then we looked at God's provision, and then we looked at God's rules. Last week we looked at God's rules, and so we talked a lot about how God's rules, the Ten Commandments, if you will, they weren't given to us so that we could get relationship with God. They were actually given to the people of God because they already had relationship with God. So those are where we have been, and then today we're moving on, and we're going to be looking at this today. I think it's coming. Is it frozen? He's frozen. Which one is it? Well, you already see it there. All right, there we go. Man's bull, all right? Man's bull. Is that quite a contrast there between where we've been looking, God's crossover, God's Passover? And I don't know about you, but I think there's plenty of man's bull to go around. Wouldn't you agree? Well, we see it in Scripture And I think if we look at our own lives, we'll realize we've got a lot of it in our own lives as well. So God had just given them the Ten Commandments with a lot more instructions about what they are to do. And look at Exodus chapter 24 and verse number 7. And I want you to see here what the reply of the multitudes of God's people is to the Ten Commandments and the instructions that God gives them. Look at Exodus chapter 24 and verse number 7. Says then he, meaning Moses, their leader, then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Sounds like they're committed, right? You agree? Like that's commitment language. That says we're all in. We're in it to win it. Let's do this thing. God, we're with you. Let's go. Well, a few days go by, and a few weeks go by. After Moses initially gives them the Ten Commandments and other instructions, God wants to spend some more time with Moses, and so Moses goes back up on top of the mountain, and the people stay at the bottom of the mountain 
waiting on Moses. And literally Moses is up there with God for a few weeks experiencing, hearing from, talking to, writing down what God has for his people. We'll now look at Exodus chapter 32 and see what just a few weeks does in the hearts and the minds of God's people. The very people that just said, we will follow your commandments. We will do what you say. Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses. Now, would you agree the word long is relative, right? Right? It's relative. It depends on what you're waiting on as to whether it seems like a long time or not, right? I mean, if you're waiting on that root canal to come around, right, time's not long enough, right? Like all of a sudden it's here. But if you're waiting for something else that you're anticipating, that you're wanting, that you're salivating for, if you will, it seems like it's taking forever. We went out to eat with our family last night, and the service was great, the meal was great, everything was good. But, you know, you put in your order, and then you have to wait, which to a six-year-old seems like eternity, right? And one of my six-year-olds used the word forever to describe the weight on their food last night. It wasn't forever, but for these guys in Exodus chapter 32, for Moses to come back, it seemed like forever. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. We're going to see him in just a minute. Again, Aaron is one of uh, the leaders of Israel is actually Moses' brother. They're kind of leading in tandem. Uh, Moses is the number one leader, if you will, and, and uh, Aaron's his right-hand man. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. Now, wait a minute. These are the same people who had the very God that led them out of Egypt sent the ten plagues, sent the Passover, parted the Red Sea, put a pillar of cloud before them in the daytime and a pillar of fire before them in the nighttime for them to follow. And they've grown impatient and they say to Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened, it goes on to say, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. You see the distance that they put between themselves and Moses. Moses was once among them, leading them. Now he's been gone for just a few weeks, and they're like, this fellow, that guy, we don't even remember who he is anymore. This fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Verse 2. So Aaron, again, Aaron, Moses' brother, uh, the number two leader, if you will, of the people of God. So Aaron, the people of Excuse me, the leader of God's people. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All right, sounds pretty good. It's going to take up an offering, right? There's a problem. Check out verse number three. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, And molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Holy cow! You've wondered your whole life where that expression came from. And if you think I'm making it up, I'm not making it up. This is where it comes from. 
There's a lot of expressions we use every single day in our lives that they originated in Scripture. It's not exactly what they exclaim, but it's what they exclaim. Look at verse number uh, 4 that we're in. They exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, can everybody in the room just shake your head just like this? I mean, for real. Like, come on. Really? They're literally just a few months from being freed from slavery. Horrible, deplorable slavery. They've been in their entire lives. And now they're giving credit to a cow. Verse 5. Aaron saw how excited the people were. Beware of a leader in any capacity that moves and makes decisions based merely upon the wishes and likes of people. That's what it says. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord? I mean, there's an exclamation point when he said it, but I put a question mark on it. The Lord, you're going to worship the Lord tomorrow? You just made a calf made out of gold, and the people just proclaimed that these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Verse 6, the people got up early. They got up early. Um. I say that people only get up early when they don't have to, only if they're excited enough about what is going to happen that day. Did you follow me? Most people only get up early if only they are excited enough about what the day may bring if they have choice involved. I mean, these people are in the middle of the wilderness. They don't have to get up early and serve their slave masters anymore. They don't have to get up early and go to work anymore. They don't have to punch the clock. They're in the middle of nowhere, and they choose to get up early. There is an anticipation of the day that is coming that just moves them to get out of bed early. Some people got up really, really early this morning, this morning. Y'all tracking with me? Guess where they are? At church. Half y'all are like, what are you talking about? It's deer season, people. Read on verse number six. This is intense. People got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking. And this last part is the part where it just, it, it, it. And they indulged in pagan revelry. You may ask the question, what did the people of Israel do on that day? Here's what I can tell you. We should be thankful, and I mean this with all sincerity. We, we should be grateful that video cameras had not been introduced at this point in history. Because we would not want to, nor need to, see, hear, experience what all went on that day amongst many of the people of Israel 
as they got around that golden calf. Idolatry and worship of idols always leads to debauchery. Verse number 7. The Lord told Moses, okay? Moses is up on the mountain. The Lord, the God who freed the people, the God who created the people, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Notice the language. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Did you notice the use of the pronouns there? Your people. Any men in the room ever had your kid act up? And you say to your wife, your child is acting a fool. You need to do something about your kid. I'm there. It happened last night at dinner. There's several things that are happening here. First of all, let me make it very clear. God is not disowning his people in this moment. Just like when you as a parent say to your spouse, your kid, go handle You're not disowning them. But what you are realizing in this moment that is right in front of you and there is no way around it is that you and God is recognizing this moment that he is going to have to discipline his people. He's going to have to discipline his children. Now, I think if you're a parent, you have learned that it's very, very uh, beyond dangerous. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's on the line of crossing over into wrong if you discipline your children when you're angry, right? You, you have to calm down, and you have to kind of recenter. It doesn't mean the discipline goes away, but you have to set the anger aside when you discipline your kids, And just like you do sometimes when you hand them off to your spouse, you realize it's best if you're not around them right now. You're too angry. You're too mad. You're too disappointed. You're too upset. And God is angered in this moment. He's angered. Look what else he goes on to say here. Quick, go down the mountain, verse 7. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Verse 8. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. How quickly they forgot who God is. How quickly they forgot who they were. And how quickly they forgot whose they were. Again, verse Eight says, how quickly they have turned away from the way I've commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 9. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone. So my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Verse 11. 
But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people? Do you see what Moses is doing right now? Moses is reminding God, not that he is forgotten, but Moses needs to recognize in this moment and have a moment of recognition with God. God, these still are your people. They're yours. And he says, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such strong hand? Moses is not saying they didn't do anything wrong. But just like that other parent says to the other parent who's so angry, you need to calm down. Growing up, did you ever have a dad that, you know, he could straighten things out for you? Anybody? Anybody? I did. And uh, it's, it's almost as if Moses was playing the role of mother here, if you will. And he's saying to God, they're yours, but yeah, get some distance. And just flat out, don't kill them. Don't kill them. Anybody's mom ever said that to your dad? Don't kill them! Don't kill them! I know they did wrong, but don't kill them! Moses is like, don't kill them. Don't kill them. Verse 12, why let the Egyptians say their God, meaning the living God, rescued them from the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Moses is reminding God, as strange as that sounds, he's reminding God. That this is bigger than his people. It's about his, God's reputation. Moses is worried about how the whole world views his God. And he wants them to know that he's the God of creation. And he's the God of grace. And he's the God of salvation. It goes on to say, turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Verse 13. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them. He reminds them of a covenant of which we're going to look into more this next week and a covenant that God's going to give. He reminds them about this agreement that God enters into with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster He had threatened to bring on his people. Why pray? Why ask God for things? We see Moses praying, claiming scripture, claiming truth, claiming covenant. And we see God changing his mind as a result. We see God keeping, as he always does, his word. Look at verse 21. You know the interaction is going to happen, right? Moses and Aaron. The brothers are going to have a showdown. Verse 21. Finally, he, Moses, turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? This is going to be good. Verse 22. Don't get so upset, my Lord. 
when a brother calls his brother Lord, you know there's some serious sucking up going on. And I understand that Moses is ahead of him in leadership, but there is a moment where Aaron is using every bit of his power, his charisma, his personality, and his um, uh, vocabulary to help the situation. Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are, to which Moses had to give an amen. I mean, if you've read the rest of the story and you've been listening, man, they've just been complaining every day, gripping about everything. I mean, they're never happy. They want food. They're complaining. They get food. They're complaining. They want water. They're complaining. They get water. They're complaining. They're complaining all the time. He's raising preschoolers. So Aaron knows that Moses is going to agree with him on that. Verse 23, they said, now, if you were paying attention to, I don't know, verse 2 or 3, uh, it, it wasn't they that said, it was Aaron that said. But you see this subtle little shift in the story, or the storytelling, in which Aaron says, they said, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So he's trying to shift blame. And then he says, so I told them, check this out. Whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Listen very carefully. This is where it really gets. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Are we having a talk again with parents and their kids? Right? Right? Like, don't tell me that. That is the goofiest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? You really, that's what you're coming up with? You threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. I mean, how juvenile and immature does Aaron sound in this moment? Shifting, well, it wasn't me, it was them. And, and when I just said throw it in the fire, out came this calf. I mean, again, this is a holy cow moment, Right? And he was trying to take the holy cow moment and making it even something more that it wasn't. We threw it in the fire and poof, out came this cow. Well, what's the big deal? Well, first of all, Aaron hasn't told the truth. And mostly, God has redeemed them. He brought them out of slavery. He fought for them. He provided for them. He's guided them. He's protected them. He's been their God. And oh, how quickly they forgot who God is. They forgot how quickly who they are. And they forgot whose they are. Now, here they are, bowing down to a statue of a grass-eating bull. God's like, I told you not to do this. Look back at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 3. Beginning of the Ten Commandments. They'd just gotten these just a few weeks earlier. And Moses came down from the mountain, face was glowing, and he announced this to the people. Verse 3, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection 
any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even the children in the fourth, third, and fourth generations. God's like, I told you not to do it. I told you, son, not to be playing in the middle of the street. I told you if you did that, you're going to get run over. I care about you. I love you. I'm not giving you rules because I don't like you. I'm giving you rules because I want you to make it. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be in a safe place. I want you to grow. I want you to flourish. I want you to multiply. Oh, people, come on. I just told you no other gods. No other gods. You have made me angry, and if it weren't for Moses talking me out of it, I'd have wiped you all out. I told you. No other gods. No other gods. Look at all I've done for you, God says to the people. And and now you want to give credit to a cow? I mean, come on, a cow? That's what you're going with? You're going with a cow? You're going to reduce me down to a cow. Don't do that. Don't try to make me manageable, God says. Don't try to make me a location, God says. Don't try to compartmentalize me, God says. I'm not a thing. Don't try to put me in a room. And don't try to constrict me to a day. I am the God of the heavens and the earth. Every day, every moment, everybody. And so what idolatry does, idolatry shrinks God down. And the last thing you and I need to do is shrink God down. You don't need a smaller God. You need a bigger God. And there's no greater God than the God that we are speaking of here in the book of Exodus that freed the people from slavery. But we do it, don't we? We shrink God down. We do. We show up on Sunday. We get all religious. God, you're great. God, you're good. I am free. I am free. We go to work on Monday, and we're a little bit less religious And then on Friday, you know, it just depends on what kind of situations or what kind of opportunities come our way. And the next thing you know, we're worshiping someone or something else other than God. Oh, how quickly we forget who God is. How quickly we forget who we are. And how quickly we forget whose we are. God's like, man, there's nothing that you can build that will represent me. Do you realize this building doesn't represent God? It can't. It can't. It can't hold him. It can't contain him. It can't express him. We can come here together around Scripture, the truth, and worship him, but but he's not contained in this building. Praise God. Our God's so much bigger. There's nothing that we can build, nothing we can construct, nothing we can, can, can make. Nothing we can conceive that can really be who he is. God's like, I'm not an in the presence of and out of the presence of God. I'm an always with you God. Let me give you a couple things about idols that are very, very important. You're going to see them in your notes. They're going to come on the screen. Don't miss them. First thing is this. Anything you can carry with you is a small God. Anything you can pick up and carry with you is a small God. I mean, think about it. I've got this gold calf, and I don't know if it was life-size. Let's say it was life-size. Let's get four guys. Let's pick him up. We're moving. Let's go. Here goes our God. We got him. Can you imagine walking through the four of you? We got him right here. It's God right here. Anything that you can pick up and carry around with you 
is a small, small God. Some of us are carrying around something. It may be in our hands. It may be in our hearts. It may be in our minds. But if you are carrying it around with you, you have a very small God. And think about this for just a moment. God is completely offended offended at the fact they would make a golden calf and worship it. Okay, don't make any idols and bow down before it. But is it possible for us that we don't make gods today like that in our culture, but is it possible that we just come up with ideas and we bow down to them and worship? We're worshiping an idea. How much more is God offended possibly that we just have our ideas that we buy into, that we bow down to, that we believe in? that we look to for our hope, our peace, our satisfaction. Here's another thing about idols I want you to catch. It's going to be in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. Anything we try to put in a place where God belongs is an idol. Now, if you'll process that, you'll understand that is deep. Anything we try to put into a place that God belongs is an idol. Idolatry. Idolatry is this false idea that you can know what you want to know, feel what you want to feel, do what you want to do, have what you want to have, and experience what you want to experience. That's the whole essence of idolatry. This is going to give you what you really, really want. And God's like, man... If you want, you can find a lot of what you want out there. You can go play in the middle of the street if you want to. You're going to have fun for a little while. But when you're flat as a pancake in the middle of the street, because that Mack truck ran over you, it's not going to matter anymore. God's like, you can go after whatever you want to go after, but I'm telling you not to, because if you go after it, you're going to get what you want, but you're going to lose what you really need, which is me. He's warning them. He's warning us that it's going to bring us hurt, pain, and destruction in the end. It's the reason why God implores us and his people then to worship him and to worship him alone. Here's the deal about God. God's like, I'm going to provide what you, what you need when you need it. But just like the people of Israel, man, it's taken a long time. God doesn't wear your watch on his wrist. His calendar and your calendars aren't synced. Okay? God functions at a different timetable than we do. And some of you are like, it's taking forever. And God's like, you don't know what forever is. God's like, just wait. I've got a better plan for you. How many of you have been following Jesus long enough, paying attention long enough, that you realize there were some things you really, really wanted? You waited forever. They never came around. And now you can look back and you can realize, you know what? I see it now. God spared me of so much pain by not giving me that. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you that you didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted it. Thank you. Thank you. The great theologian Garth Brooks said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. This is where some of us are. And I want to give you just the big, big idea that we need to wrestle with this morning. It's huge. Some of you in this room, I mean, this is, here it is. To move forward 
on the journey of freedom, we must remove the obstacle of idolatry. To move forward on this journey of freedom, we must remove the object of idolatry. Some of you have reached a place in your life where you're like, you know what, I've got a problem, I've got issues. Jesus, I need you to save you, I need you to rescue me. Please send the Passover, please part the Red Sea, please get me out of here. Please, oh God, I believe in you. I can't do it. And you've trusted in Jesus. You've believed in him to the point that he has ushered in rescue for you. He has put you on a path of freedom, and there you find yourself just like the people of God in the wilderness. You know what? It sure was fun back in Egypt. Man, I had what I wanted. When I wanted, man, it was good. You know what? I think I'll go back today, and I'll taste it once again. I think I'll go back, and I'll touch it once again. I think I'll go back, and I'll look at it once again. I think I'll go back, and I'll bow down to it once again. And when you do that, you're going back to someone or something other than God as your rescuer and you have moved into idolatry and you are stuck in this journey of freedom. In fact, you're not stuck. You're in reverse, beep, 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 backing up, going the wrong way because you've got something or someone that you are holding on to. And it's called idolatry. And you're not going to move forward even though you have believed in Jesus. But you're not going to move forward. In this journey towards freedom because you aren't willing to give up to what you are holding in your hand, heart, or mind. As your rescuer, as your satisfier, as your pleasure giver, as your relief from reality, as the one that you find hope and security, peace, joy, whatever in. You're finding it there and there it is in your hand and what's in your hand is a lie. Now the truth of it is. Whatever you're holding can make you feel good for a little while. But the lie is that it's going to make you feel good and it's going to bring you good for the rest of your life. And if you have reached that point before where you know that it's broken you, if you're picking it back up, let me tell you, it's going to do the same thing to you this time it did last time. It's going to break you. It's going to break you. It's a monumental moment for some of us in this room right now. Monumental moment. Well, we've got to decide, you know what? What I'm holding in my hand, in my heart, in my mind right now, it is a lie. It is idolatry. And in this moment, I've got to open my hand, confess to God that I've believed in it, not him, and I've got to lay it down and confess it as sin and idolatry and run to him. But what we're talking about right now is easier said than done. Crazy hard for you to say, I'm not going to hang on to this anymore. I mean, some of you got clothes that you need to get rid of that you just can't let go of because you're so attached to them, right? Some of you got shoes. You're like, man, I just like that pair of shoes, and they look so ratty, so terrible. You need to get rid of them. You need to move on. Your wife's been telling you, telling you, telling you. We're talking about just goofy stuff right now, but something that's brought your heart and your mind pleasure Brought you relief from the reality that you want to get away from? Oh, I don't know. Crazy hard. Crazy hard. 
Removing them means recognizing God, but also recognizing the existence of idols. And I think that's where some of you are right now. You're willing to say, you know what? I recognize God as being the true and living God. I believe that he created everything. I believe that he sent his one and only son named Jesus. I believe that he died for me, and I believe that he rose again. I believe. But you're struggling to say and to declare. And I also believe that my idols can give me what I need. And I'm going to confess that as sin, and I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We look desperately for something to satisfy us and to fill the empty places. Our cravings seem to be filled. Our cravings are are so, so strong in the moment that we go to something or someone to meet our need. Look at Psalm 106. I think it says it well. Psalm 106, verse 19, 20 and 21. Psalm 106. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. They forgot their God, their Savior. I mean, we look at that and we're like, man, those people were idiots. They made a calf out of gold and bowed down before it. How stupid is that? And yet many of us in this room, if we really examine our lives, we're just as foolish. We're just as foolish. They traded their glorious God for a grass-eating bull. Question for you. What have you traded God for? What have you traded God for you? This is that moment of truth to say, in my hand right now is a lie. Confessing it. As an idol, opening it, giving it to God. Understanding that Jesus is everything that you need. That Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the living water. That Jesus is the eternal life. That Jesus is the word of life. That Jesus is the prince of peace. That Jesus is the one who died for you. That Jesus is the one who rose for you. That Jesus is the only one that can rescue you. Another question for you. What would your life look like today if you had no other God but God? What would your life look like today if you had no other God but God? Some of you are like, man, God's my God. But you got other gods. Man, what would happen amongst this group of people, this church of the living God, if God's people got rid of every other God but God? What would happen? Would you, would you trust more? Would your stress levels potentially go down? Would your satisfaction potentially come up? Would you treat people differently? Would you stop doing in order to please God to get his favor and start doing things because you're in his favor? What would you start doing that you haven't been doing before? What would you walk away from? What would you pray for? How would you use your money differently? How would you use your energy differently? Worshiping God alone will change 
your life. Let me, let me pause. I didn't say showing up to church once a week will change your life. Listen to me. Worshiping God alone will change your life. And if you hadn't figured it out yet, that's why we're here. This morning, some of us, by God's grace, have figured that out. We're not any better than you are, but we are changed by Jesus, and we want you to experience the same. So next step for you to consider. It's simple. Let go of my idol, and then there's a blank. What is it? Let's name it. Well, somebody might see my sheet of paper. Whoop-de-doo. We're talking about your life being forever changed here and you getting real with God and saying, this is my idol. And some of you are like, well, there's not enough blanks on the page. Make some more blanks. Fill them in. Name them all. Set them at the feet of Jesus. And say they're idols. They're lies. And I'm going to believe in the God of the Bible. The God who sent Jesus. The God who loves me. And I'm going to believe in him and in him alone. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads, and in just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond, and and I want to tell you how this time of response is going to go this morning. Now, I'm not saying you can't do this, but but this morning, it's, it's not an invitation to necessarily come down here. It's an invitation to come to Jesus, and I don't do this very often, but we're going to take a moment where I'm going to ask you in just a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to do some things physically right where you're sitting. I'm not going to ask you to touch anybody else or anything strange like that. But I am going to ask you to physically respond this morning. Because I do believe that this morning can be monumental, life-changing forever for some of us. If we respond to Jesus this morning, understanding our idols and confessing them and casting them down. And believing in Him and Him alone. I'm asking you to be brave. I'm asking to be bold. I'm asking to be honest. I'm asking to be courageous. I'm asking to be full of faith this morning as we respond to Jesus. So right now, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? If it's okay with you, I'm going to keep mine open. I'm not going to move off this stage. I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm not going to sneak up on you. Nobody else is. This is going to be a safe place for you. But I'm asking you this morning that if you will simply take your hand, whichever one, and just just make it into a fist right now, right in front of you. Make it into a fist right in front of you. Okay? And as that fist is being held right in front of you, would you just be honest with yourself and with God? And if you're holding on to anything that even seems to be an idol, even could be an idol. Will you be honest with God right now and just say, God, I'm holding on to something or some things that are idols in my life right now. Would you be willing to do that right now? Would you be willing to be honest with God right now? (laughs) My fist is clenched too when I'm talking to God right now. I'm with you. Would you take it a step further? Would you not just say, God, I've got some things or a thing in my life that's an idol. Would you get descriptive and tell God what they are? Just be honest with God and say, it's this and it's this and it's this. 
Now, would you recognize that what you and I are potentially holding on to, that we've just been honest enough with God to admit they're silly and they're as foolish as a golden calf made out of our earrings that we're bowing down to. Would you just confess to God the silliness and the foolishness and the sinfulness of your faith in that thing or those things? And now would you tell God they're a lie. All of those things that I believe in that aren't you for my hope, for my satisfaction, for my pleasure, for my relief, they're a lie. They bring pleasure for a moment, but man, ultimately they bring destruction. Would you just, would you tell him that? We hadn't done the hard part yet. As you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, here comes a hard part. Would you be willing right now to unclench your fist, open your hand, and drop at the feet of Jesus to never pick up again the idols that you've just confessed to having? Would you be willing to open your hand and give them to God as false gods. Would you be willing to do that right now? Would you be willing to open your hand and say, God, here here they are. Here they are. I don't want them anymore. I don't need them anymore. I'm not going to turn to them anymore. I believe that you can give me everything I need when I need it. God, I want to be on this journey to freedom. And I don't want anything, anything to take me back. So I'm laying them all down at your feet right now. I confess them as sin. I confess them as false worship. And God, now by your grace, I'm going to worship you as my only God. Understanding this is going to be life change for me. This means when I get home, i got to throw it away. This means when I get at home, I got to smash it. When I get home, I've got to get rid of it. I've got to do away with all these things, and God, I'm going to turn to you. When I get ready to bow down, it's not going to be before my idols. It's going to be before you, the living God. And God, I believe that you can give me what I need. If your hand is open, it's not for show because the heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. It's good to recognize our hands are empty sometimes. Would you just simply take your hand and put it in the air? Just put it in the air. Empty hands. Empty, clean hands. It's just an act of worship before the living God this morning. Say to him what you need to say to him. Tell him what you need to tell him. Hear from him what you need to hear from him. Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus. It's only through his blood that our hands can be lifted up today.
We've admitted things. We've confessed our idols. We've cast them down at your feet. And now we just simply lift our empty hands to you. Telling you that we got nothing. Believing you that you are everything. Trusting in you. Depending upon you. Leaning upon you for our everything. If it's food that we need, we believe that you're the one that's going to provide. If it's water that we need, we believe that you're the one that's going to provide. If it's relationship help that we need, we believe that you're the one that's going to provide. If it's parenting help that we need, we believe that you're the one that can provide. God, if it's a need of any shape, form, or fashion, we believe that you can touch that empty place in us right now and give us what you need. Father, I pray for these many people that have been willing today to be honest with a grip fist, take another step of courage and of faith and open their hands in confession. I pray you bless them like never before. And God, as Monday comes around, help us not to pick it back up. God, as Friday rolls around, help us not to pick it back up. Help us to come back together next week with empty hands, full hearts that are full of you, worshiping you and praising you like never before. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. May God bless each and every one of you.